0: This is a remote voice podcast, I'm Daniel Silva and this is the 12th in a series of letters that I'm writing from Arnhem Land in Australia's Northern Territory. Um, It feels necessary to preface this letter by saying that it deals with a very sensitive theme and I realize that maybe you're not here for very sensitive themes. So I want to emphasize it's purely allegorical. It's about what it feels like to consider giving up on a dream. And perhaps it's also about the origins of ritual and prayer. This letter is as far as I ever imagined I'd go. And what's on the other side, I don't know. But I hope you'll find out with me. So here goes. This one's called A Way Out. This week, there was a knock at my door which was open. I said to come in. I sat opposite with my back against the wall and my knees bent so that my feet could be flat on the floor, but my toes were raised and my arms curled around my shins. The back of my neck was long and I looked down. I wore old clothes, clean but stained. My beard was unkempt. The man who came in wore stiff leather soles and his steps made a sound when he walked to a chair and arranged it across from me no more than a metre and sat down. His breathing was slow and deep. I heard it, but I didn't lift my head. He didn't talk straight away. Instead, he waited, long enough to draw my attention. I raised my head to see him. He was on the generous side of sixty, his hair and beard a neat collage of greys and blacks. His eyes were my father's, bright blue, but set back so as not to be piercing. He wore a faint smile and relaxed shoulders, beneath a tailored coat and trousers made of thick, durable fabric, the colour of charcoal. He appeared to be wearing a uniform for a profession requiring some labour, but with no risk of getting dirty. He had my mother's hands, soft, long fingers, Skin made thin by worry. They were clasped in his lap. His right thumb kneaded the back of his left hand. Who are you? I said. That all depends. Why are you here? This time desperately. He was a fantasy, that much I knew. I've come to get you out. Out of what? Well, clearly you're in something, he said. Your beard is longer than you like it to be. Your neck is stiff, and you're sitting on the floor with your arms curled around your shins. I took his point. Okay, I said. Fair enough. Next to the man stood a brown paper bag. He leaned over and drew from it a rope, two-thirds of an inch thick, flaked ten or eleven times to form a coil. The rope itself was made of a dry fibre with a soft sheen. It had a golden appearance. We both stared and he turned it over to reveal its working end, knotted with a series of tight coils perpendicular to the bite, followed by a dinner plate sized eye. The man stood up. My feet flattened. I let go of my legs and pressed my back to the wall. Without turning, he lifted one of his feet and stepped onto the chair. His movements had a choreographed grace about them. They were slow but efficient. When he was standing on the chair, he looked up, and I followed his gaze to a hook in the ceiling. I'd never noticed it before and tried to remember it. By the time my attention was back on the hook, the man had tied the rope's standing end with an elegant slipped buntline hitch. He stepped down from the chair, releasing one turn at a time until the rope was entirely uncoiled and suspended. He sat down and stilled the rope with his left hand, then retrieved it to his lap. We stared at each other. From the ceiling hung a noose. So, said the man. So what? I replied. It's a way out. Out of what? I asked, forgetting. The man cleared his throat before he spoke. Look, he said, "'You've come a long way, but it's time to check in with reality.' "'I blinked,' he continued. "'This dream of yours,' he said, "'to find your voice and tell your stories "'and reconcile the warring parts of yourself, "'to speak for the complexity of things. "'It's all just a dream.' "'I stared. "'I wanted his help. "'I searched for something to hold, "'but my memory had been replaced by that of a goldfish,' And each time I blinked, the past disappeared. I said with uncertainty, I can't remember why I'm here. Never mind, he said. This is about the future. Um. The man grew impatient. His right thumb pressed hard into the back of his left hand, forming a bow wave in the skin, which broke across his knuckles over and over. I felt weak and small, without an answer. I feared to find disappointment in his eyes. I feared his hands would become arthritic. I wanted to help him, for him to help me. I wanted to be out of what I was in. I was tired and torn. Help me, I cried in defeat. His hands stopped. He leaned forward and put one of them on each of my shoulders. He stood me up and slipped the noose over my head. How do you feel, he asked. Better, I lied. It's only a dream, he said. I looked in his eyes. They were my father's, but something was missing from them. Time slowed. I looked at his hands. They were my mother's, and yet his mouth. I'd not noticed it before. His lips were so thin. They came to a point, and the skin around them was dry and scaly. Who are you? I asked his mouth. That all depends, he said. His teeth were small and sharp with spaces between them. I glanced past him to the window. It was dusk. I have to light a fire, I said, every day at dusk, and read a poem to help me remember. I reached for an old piece of paper in my pocket, discoloured at the creases. I opened it slowly and read it aloud. A prayer to remember. Say these words each day at dusk before a fire. To something unknown and unnamed something transcendent and powerful something by which I am guided and in whose presence I am humbled please forgive me the days when I don't recall that a little confusion is part of it all help me to trust in a future unknown nourished by fruits from the seeds I have sown help me remember the garden my heart the word my salvation The water my art. Whatever is hated, may it be understood. Whatever is evil, may it give way to good. Whatever is broken, may you see it repaired. Whatever is stolen, may you see it is shared. Please keep me protected, and in return, I'll consider each moment a lesson to learn. I'll take care of my body with stretching and rest. In all of my work, I'll give of my best. I'll try to be a friend to all who I see, no matter their baggage or how they treat me. I'll try to keep sacred the rights of our kind, to reap what we sow and seek what we find. I'll try to remember that I'm not alone. Whenever I'm lost, I'll follow you home. As for my dream, I'll be unmoved by doubt, for I know in my heart there is no way out. I took a full breath and looked up. The man was gone. I was out. My neck was stiff and my body ached, but my shoulders relaxed and I felt like I'd cried. I walked outside and gathered a few sticks. The air was cool and a gentle wind brushed my legs. I broke the sticks so they were all the same length. The scent of them filled my nostrils and I made a point of breathing deep. A small bat flew circles over my head, chasing mosquitoes. In the distance, I heard clapsticks, yidaki, and singing. A funeral had begun. It would continue for the next five days with a series of rituals, songs, and dances. All of the deceased's family members would participate. When it was over, they'd feel comforted. Everyone would know that the spirit of a loved one was safely on its way to the earth from whence it came. I lit my fire and while it burned, I thought of all the men, women, and children saying prayers to remember. I smiled and felt grateful for the wind. With love, Daniel. Postscript. Tomorrow I'm leaving for ten days vacation. God knows I need a break. My destination is Alice Springs, the home of a dear friend and kindred spirit. And that is where I am recording this from. So this letter I wrote two days ago. And right now I am in Alice Springs. And well, I will say things about that, but probably I'll take my time to do so so that I can capture more than a single layer of meaning which is something which is somehow what happens in this writing process it's like it's like i ask this, it's like i ask a question and then i answer it once in words and then i look back over those words and i i adjust them and each adjustment adds a layer to them because the first answer to a question answers from a perspective. But the key to including multiple perspectives in an answer seems to be the choice of words and sentence length and um, all of these kinds of intangible subtleties of wordcraft. That's, that's how the layers get in um it's really cool okay so that's it for this week and um until next